gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. Welcome to episode 326 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that does not have a t-shirt. All right, we have to fix that problem soon. Uh, It is a week before Texas Pinball Festival, and I don't know about you, but I always get excited before a pinball show because what a pinball show the size of Texas guarantees us is that there will be some news coming out of the show. And not only that, what these big shows do so successfully is they get a lot more people playing the new machines for the first time ever, and they will be able to give you more feedback on the game. So games like Oktoberfest, games like Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, uh, maybe there's going to be a Yellow Brick Road edition from Jersey Jack Pinball there. Uh, Maybe there'll be a few other surprises at the show that we don't know about yet. They might bring Kingpin back to the show this year. So that's why I love Texas Pinball Festival. It's big. There's a lot of personalities there. It's a great time to hang out uh, and and just chat with friends. But ultimately, ultimately, it's all about socializing and sharing our love of the hobby together. Now, I wasn't sure if I was going to go to Texas Pinball Festival uh, because I had a conflict. Now, I'm here to confirm to you, a fan of the show, that I just booked my flight to Texas. That's right, Canada is flying first class down to Dallas-Fort Worth. I arrive on Friday morning, and I fly out Sunday morning. So I will be there at the show. So if you are going to be at TPF, keep a lookout for Canada. You can't miss me. I'll be the best-dressed guy there, guaranteed, all right? I will also probably have a T-shirt on that has the word Canada on it. I may even wear the Hilton hoodie if you're lucky, all right? I also plan to go to the TPF meet and greet that takes place that Friday. I think it's around 2 o'clock, so I'm going to try and get there in time for that. And I'm also really looking forward to the Twippy Awards on Saturday night. Uh, Will we walk away with Best Pinball Podcast? We'll have to wait and see. I don't know. I have to say Jeff and the people over there have been very, very good at keeping it close to the vest and not revealing who's winning anything. And I think it should be a fun time uh, Saturday night at TPF. So that's coming up quickly. Uh, I'm going to upload an episode this week where I talk to a Pinside listener all about What are the best themes in pinball? So look forward to that this week as well. Now, here's the deal. I want to talk a little bit about some stuff going on in the pinball world, and then we're just going to let the week go on, and we're going to get to TPF when stuff really starts to pop. So what is happening in pinball this week? So the Stern Insider people finally got to see what their first bit of inside information would be, and it happened to be the Stern Munsters topper. Now what Stern did was they allowed people to log in with their sort of login and password and that gave them a little video of what the the Munster's topper would look like. It's it's sort of like four characters with the cuckoo clock in the middle and the raven comes out. Uh, I shared it with everyone on Canada's Pinball Podcast page, so go check that out. Now, I've been in the Munster's thread and there also is this, this this ridiculous thread that says something like, Monsters is the worst game of the question, question, question mark. 
And after reading the Munsters thread, and after seeing what a lot of you are saying about the game, I have to walk away from this game with one conclusion, and that is people are really enjoying the game. And they seem to be enjoying the way the game shoots. They seem to be enjoying the theme of the game. They enjoy the music, the callouts, the shots, the geometry. I think there's a lot more to like about the Munsters than there is to not like. And we know there was a lot of controversy around the coding of the game and how much depth is in the game. And will Dwight uh, make this game deeper than it is currently? And because it stands on .96 code right now, uh, it probably is pretty far along in what we'll get. Now, there will always be polish. These games will always uh, be revisited by the designers and the coders to make them as complete as they possibly can be. But as we know with Stern Games, the wait for that polish could take years. So it's a good time for people, if they are interested in the Munsters, to jump on one and see if you like it. Now here are the here are the group of people that probably still have a little bit of a hard time knowing if it's the right game for them. And that that that's the premium buyer. So if the premium buyer does not have access to a Munsters LE, now remember, there's only 600 in the entire world, so it's not like they're everywhere, uh, they might not know if it's the right game for them. Now, there are probably a lot more pro versions of the Munsters out there for people to play, uh, but if you want to get a premium, uh, you probably want to get your hands on the game and see if it's the right game for you. The good news is that for the premium buyers, there is not a limit to the amount Stern will make. So they're going to make this game for a few years. And I think that's a good thing. Sometimes we get really myopic in our criticism of Stern Pinball, and we forget to realize that at any one time, Stern has so many games on the line that you can buy, right? Something like six to eight games they currently are, are still making and manufacturing, where every other manufacturer out there it's like all they have is one horse in the race at one time. And Stern is the complete opposite. So if Munsters isn't the game for you, then maybe Beatles is, maybe Batman is, maybe Star Trek is. And all these games can go be bought tomorrow, brand new from Stern. All right. So speaking of code and when will it be done, the one code that people continue to wonder about is Ghostbusters. And we know that Ghostbusters is also a Dwight game. And so with Dwight still polishing Munsters, will he get around to Ghostbusters uh, before he's finished with the Munsters code? And a lot of people are waiting to see what the deal is. Now, this is one of those times where Stern sort of put their foot in their mouth. They said 26 months ago. This is this is the truth. 26 months ago is how long ago Stern first said that they were working on Ghostbuster code updates. 26 months, all right? And nothing. No update, nothing. And so we know that that sort of paints a picture a little bit of how Stern can move on from a game because the sales might have been terrific and there's no more work to be done because they're moving on to the next game that they can sell to you. Uh, but recently we heard from Zombie Yeti. You know him, artist of the Ghostbusters game. And he said that Ghostbusters code is coming along shortly and that he's talked to the people at Stern and he's talked to Dwight and it is on the radar and it is on their to-do list. Now again, how do we know when it's going to come out? Because 
they said 26 months ago they were working on the code. And so for Zombietti to say they're working on the code, uh, does that indicate that it's going to come shortly? Or is this just more of Stern being Stern and saying something is happening, but it could happen tomorrow, it could happen a year from now, it could happen two years from now. So we'll see on that. All right, so some rumor that just keeps on growing and growing and growing, and someone keeps bumping these threads to the top of Pinside. That is the rumor of Jaws Pinball. And I thought that we reported on this show many times that Brian Eddy's next game will not be Jaws. And the reason why, and I wish someone would just go to Pinside and explain this to people. The reason why is that you will not get anything other than the shark and the name. You get nothing else with with the license. So they won't get clips from the movie. They won't get the theme song. It's just the shark and the name. Okay, so that is why no designer wants to touch this game. Can we just close the door on it? And what's funny is two years ago, Stern uploaded a photo from the licensing show, and it was Gary Stern's face, and behind him were two posters. And the post said, I wonder what game we'll make next, or, or, or what, what future title might we be working on? And it was Michael Jackson poster and a Jaws poster. Well, thank God they didn't make the Michael Jackson game, because if you've seen Leaving Neverland, uh, it is a really bad time to be about anything related to Michael Jackson. It, it, the whole empire is collapsing around us. All right, so what else is going on? So let's see. Steve Ritchie's game is coming out in just about a month. The Midwest Gaming Classic is going to happen in about four weeks, and that is really exciting. You know, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing how it it feels like Monsters just came out, right? They haven't even shipped a single premium of the game, and we're already on to the next game. Uh, without Stern, how boring would this hobby be? You have to admit, without Stern releasing a new game every three to four months, we would literally be bored to death waiting for the other manufacturers to deliver something. Uh, they do an amazing job of keeping this hobby and keeping us excited about what's next. Now, I know, like a lot of you, uh, you want more from the hobby than what Stern might be currently giving you. You understand that there's more magic to be had in pinball. But I'll say this. If we look at Stern over the last few years, they have continued to improve upon every single thing that we have bitched about, okay? Remember? It started with the artwork. It was all about the code and getting more complete code uh, when games shipped. Uh, they've done a really good job lately of shipping games with code that is, is pretty far along. Uh, they've made the games look stellar. I mean, the art packages on these machines are incredible right now, okay? We wanted home run themes. You wanted nostalgic themes. They've been bringing out a lot of stuff that is listening to the feedback of people in the community. Now, the final thing, right? There's only one thing missing now. They brought the LCD into the game. The, the last thing, the last thing that people have been complaining about and looking for more of, and that's just more technology and it's more innovation in the mechanisms in the games, all right? Now, if any company is set up 
to give you more mechanisms and more engineering in the game. It's a big company like Stern with all the resources that they have. So that is what I'm looking forward to from Stern. I, I think the final, the final thing that they need to do to justify where the prices of their games are currently at, I think is to include a lot more mechanical innovations in their games. And they've, they've gotten away over the last few years with stuff that isn't really pushing the boundaries of what they can do. Uh, and they've been designing these games to a price point that works for them, but the mechanical innovation just doesn't work for me. And it, 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 it works for a lot of you because you guys are still buying these games. But I say, Canada on this show, I don't see myself buying any Stern Pinball machines anytime soon until I see the mechanical innovation there. I, I, I just don't see myself doing it, right? Now, speaking of trading from a new Stern to a game with a lot more mechanical innovation and, and wow factor, did you see what Greg Bone got after he got rid of his Monsters Pro? Lo and behold, a Monster Bash remake made its way into his home. And I've been trying to talk to Greg about this. I've been Facebooking him. I know he's busy. He's, he's a father with children and he's doing all this other stuff. But I want Greg Bone to come on Canada's Pinball Podcast and tell us why he went from Monsters Pro to Monster Bash Remake and, and should other people who are considering both of those titles, what they should consider or think about that Greg has learned uh, now that he made that switch. Is that, Greg, do you hear me? Let's do it. Everyone wants to hear you back on the show, all right? All right, what's next? Spooky Pinball. All right, so Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, it's ramping up big time. I mean, these games are going out now pretty quickly, and that's a good thing. I've always wanted people to get their games and get them quickly, and it's been a year since the game was first revealed, but we are starting to see a lot more people unbox their Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Now, I'm excited to jump on the game again at TPF. I played the game a year ago. I saw the game a year ago. I was at the reveal a year ago. It was a little bit of a strange reveal. Charlie seemed nervous. He was probably nervous because he knew the game didn't really have much in it from a code standpoint. It did look beautiful. It still looks beautiful. I, I, I won't argue with the way this game looks. I mean, you stand over in Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle and you look at the art package in that game, and you look at the castle, and you look at the side art, it's a beautiful looking machine. There, there's no doubt about it. I, I don't understand people who can say that game doesn't look good. And if you look at where they came from with America's Most Haunted, and you look at their first game, and this game now, uh, it's hard to not see the progress in Spooky Pinball, all right? And that's that's I think that's a very fair assessment. Now, how the game shoots, how how well the game is integrated with the theme, uh, it will it be enjoyable? We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. We haven't played it. Most people haven't played it. Uh, the owners will always say the the game is the greatest thing ever. That's what owners do. They justify their purchase. You never get any honesty from new in box buyers. You only get uh, the. Been that they want you to believe. So we'll have to see because what I love about TPF is we're going to get unfiltered K 
candid feedback from people who play the game with no skin in the game. These are people that are not necessarily buying it, but they're going to flip it. And I look forward to talking to many of you at the show about whether or not you enjoyed it. And I think that's fair. I'm going to go into the show with an open mind around Aldous Cooper's Nightmare Castle. And I think it's great that people are finally getting their games and they're going out the door. I also think they're going to make more than six a week. I think that was when they were still transitioning from TNA. The numbers that I heard, and and I might see if Charlie can confirm this, is they can make upwards of 20 a week when the line is going at full capacity. So if you do 20 a week and they need to make 500 of them, uh, you know, so how many weeks does that take? That takes 25 weeks. So it's about a little, in about half a year, right? So about, they can do that in about six months. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see everyone who's in on an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle will get their game by the end of 2019. This is not going to be something that goes well into next year. Uh, so I would say by the end of 2019, every Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle will ship and get its way to customers. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see. All right, the real question becomes is what will happen when there's like 200 games out there? All right, there's 200 Alice Coopers out there. Willy Wonka's been revealed. Uh, Maybe Deep Root has revealed something. There might be something new from a Chicago gaming company. What happens when there's still like 300 games to be made and people have other options? What happens if the original Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle buyers, uh, some of them start to sell their games? for less than what the game was new. It's just going to be interesting as these guys at the end of the line are witnessing their ability to A, get the game sooner and get the game for cheaper. Uh, Will this ever happen again? My prediction is Chuck won't do it like this again. This $1,000 non-refundable deposit, it just doesn't make anyone satisfied. It it, it doesn't. There's no upside to this other than him locking in people's money and there's a financial upside for him but I also think Chuck's company runs on goodwill and I think this this sort of erodes a little bit of that goodwill away all right let's go on so it's hard not to like look at the four sale threads and see a couple games that are going for extremely high prices and one of those is Magic Girl and for some reason lately Magic Girls have been popping up left and right for sale and they range anywhere from $25,000 to you know $20,000 to $18,000. I saw one for like $19,999. There's not there are not that many magic girls out there. But why are people trying to sell them now? I've been trying to figure this out. Like why all of a sudden have three of them hit the market uh, around the same time period? And, and why are people still confused on the realities of owning this game? I want to talk a little bit about this because it's also going to segue into the other game that went up for sale uh, today. So here's the thing. Magic Girl is the most beautiful pinball machine that, it was, that, I've, that has ever been made. There, there's no denying it. it. The game is a visual stunner. It doesn't work. It's broken. You know the story. So why do people want this game? Why does a collector, after knowing all of this, why does he still want this in his collection? And I don't begrudge any of these collectors who seek out these rare games, but I think the answers are pretty simple. I think one of it is 
collectors want to have something rare. And there's no denying the fact that Magic Girl is just rare. Right now, the John Papaduke Zidware Magic Girl, there are less than 30 of them ever made. I think the total number is around 28. Yeah, like 25 regulars and two or three prototypes. And that's it. That's all there are in the world. And if you break it down from there, there are only two to three true prototypes that are available. One of them, Bill Brandis has. One of them, Chris from Cointaker has. And I don't know where the third one is. And that's the other thing about these collectors is there are a lot of high-end pinball collectors that never reveal themselves to the world. You don't know where they are, but they gobble up everything that's rare. So as long as there is a collectible nature to pinball, there will always be people that want to have the rare thing, right? The one, the thing that's not found everywhere. So that when you walk into their pinball game room, you're seeing stuff that is seemingly magical, right? It's mythological. It's the white whale of pinball. Wow, you have a, a magic girl. Wow, you have a big Lebowski. Wow, you have an alien. Wow, 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 right? That's what they're going for. And I've always said this. If you're a high-end collector who wants a rare pinball game, there are not that many machines that create that kind of response from people. And there are not that many machines where the number of them is extremely limited. Now look, this is a very, 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 very small portion of the pinball community. The high-end collector is, is not the prevalent buyer of pinball machines, but there are still many of them. There are far more high-end collectors out there than there are magic girls. And that is why I think we're seeing interest in this game. Even after... I've pointed out what a piece of shit it is. Even after anyone who's jumped on it points out what a piece of shit it is, that doesn't matter at all to these high-end rich collectors. Mainly because these gentlemen, they don't even play their pinball machines for the most part. And they surely don't play the rare games in their collection. Do you think these guys are like flipping their King Kongs and they're, they, they're jumping on their kingpins and then they're putting like hundreds of games on these machines? They're not. And so for them, it's more about the pride of ownership and sort of the exclusivity that they feel having one is the main reason why they go after these machines. Uh, but the sad thing is about Magic Girl, you know, unlike other rare pins that are out there, it is the most unrewarding experience possible. And so it's so lame to sort of have someone walk up to the game and to see it and to see their eyes light up and to see all this seemingly magical stuff right in front of them. And then they flip the ball and nothing works. It is so pathetic. It, it is the equivalent of a, a sexy woman who is just the worst, you know, in every possible way, in both personality and in any intimacy, right? You just, you walk up to it and you think it's going to be the most amazing experience and it's the worst experience you've ever had. And that's sort of what Magic Girl is. Now, it was really interesting because Deep Root, they chimed in on the Magic Girl for sale thread because one of the owners said something that I think all Magic Girl owners at some point thought that when Deep Root fixes the problems of John Papaduke's game, that they would be able to retrofit 
the deep root mechanisms on top of the magic girl that they currently own. Okay. So that means like the entire center mechanism on John Papadouk's game that was shipped from American Pinball doesn't work. None of it works. There's nowhere for the balls to lock. There's not even a way for the ball to get to the middle part of that mechanism where there's like a there's a magnetic flipping sort of area. And then the, there's also like a vertical upkick that shoots the ball from the play field all the way to the top of that mechanism where it's supposed to be caught by a magnet. Now that also does not work. So the fixes that Deep Root has implemented into the Magic Girl game, first of all, we don't know what they are. We don't know if the game's even gonna look remotely similar to the Zidware version. I mean, my hunch is if they've had to do a drastic overhaul of all the mechanical problems of Magic Girl, I don't really know if the Magic Girl we get from Deep Root is going to look anything like the Magic Girl that John Papaduke had in his head with Zidware. Now, if that's the case, does that then make the original Zidware Magic Girl still valuable, still worth something? It's all subjective. Ultimately, the value in this game in these games will always be this the, because they're attached to the failed story of Zidware and they are sort of a reflection of the mad scientist uh, you know J-pop and 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 looking over a magic girl you see all of where his ideas were and and his inability to finish any of those ideas in the game it is almost comical how he clearly went around that game and never was ever ever able to just complete one of the mechanisms and then move on to the next everything in the game is a half-baked idea that just wouldn't work so i just don't think that magic girl from deep root is going to go around that play field and that little universe and figure out like okay how do we make the, the king's chamber work how do we make the enchanted hair area work how do we make the lion saw work how do we make this work maybe it's just easier to be like fuck it let's just start over john what were you thinking what was the storyline of this game okay it's a prequel of theater of magic and whatever and you know here is what the the objective is and everything can just be blown up in that game because nothing really works the only thing that worked in the game is the zombie eddie artwork and so maybe they're trying to design it around it so they can still keep that artwork in place. Because remember, Jeremy's not working with Deep Root. He's not going to redraw for them the art package if they change the layout of the game. All right, so these games are for sale. Deep Root mechanisms will not work on it. If you buy a Magic Girl, you will forever have a super expensive blinking box of lights that doesn't work. And so the high-end collectors, as they're showing us right now, they don't care. They just want something rare. And I think a lot of pinball companies out there should take notice of this, that there are extremely rich gentlemen that only want a very small run of a game. And they don't want something everyone else has, and they want there to be some story attached to it. They're willing to go in on these games, even if the story is super negative, and that's what that part of the collector community is, okay? And nobody caters to them. I keep saying this. Nobody caters. There's no Bugatti. There's no Lamborghini. There's no Bentley. 
You know, there's no Konisberg. I'm using car examples, but nobody caters to these rich people. They don't. These gentlemen are all buying up Stern LEs like they're nothing because they are nothing to these people. And that's also why I think these games get traded around so much is nothing is truly special to them uh, because to them, it's easy to go get another one. But when the, when the game's really rare, because if Magic Girl really worked, the price of each one, if it was truly magical, it would be a it would be closer to fifty to sixty thousand dollars if John Papaduke just crushed it and the game was incredible and and there was only twenty five in the world. It, it would be such an expensive pin. But right now, again, I don't I wouldn't pay more than ten grand for one. And and I know people who have them, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to blow up their for sale threads, but but I'm wrong because they keep hitting me up and saying, Chris, I'm getting offers of 18,000, of 20,000. And you know what they're saying? They're rejecting those offers of $20,000 for Magic Girl, to which I'm like, take the fucking money and run because the only window to sell this game, I firmly believe this, is now because if Deep Root finishes it and accomplishes what they're setting out to do, I don't think anyone's going to want the old broken proto piece of shit. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. The other thing, though, which is interesting, I also hope Deeper doesn't make unlimited numbers of these games because they were they were meant to be super special things. If I were them, I would have like a Deep Root Platinum series where you had like super limited games and you understood the the market for them. I think Robert teased that with like a fifty thousand dollar Alice in Wonderland. But here's the thing, and 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 I say this, and I mean this. If Robert only makes fifty units of Alice in Wonderland with the John Papaduke artwork, no, sorry, the John Papaduke design that's really radical and the Zombietti artwork. If he only makes fifty of those available to the world, and I mean just fifty. You know, no, no premium version, no pro version. How much could he charge per game? And I'm telling you right now, he could easily charge twenty-five to thirty thousand per game, maybe more. And people would line up to buy it. You again, don't hate me for saying that. The amount of money these guys have, that means nothing to them. It, they look at it like, well, I, well, it's the same price of three Stern LEs, and and I would rather have that because Stern LEs are still a diamond a dozen in their minds. Okay, all right. So speaking of other game that has gone up for sale today, a Big Lebowski pinball machine is up for sale. I believe it is in Florida. I believe it is game number twenty five. It is being offered for sale for twenty one thousand five hundred dollars. And it has a couple broken plastics. The uh, seller is being very honest about the description of the game. He is the, I want to say, the, the third owner of the game or second owner of the game. I believe this game recently changed hands for $18,500. Now it is being offered up for sale again for $21,500. So the price increase of $3,000 is interesting. There are so many of you out there who want a Big Lebowski. There are so many of you out there who want a Big Lebowski for $8,500, the original price it was supposed to be. I think a lot of you would buy this game for $10,000. I think a lot of you would buy this game for $12,000. I think a lot of you would have helped Dutch Pinball figure it out. If they had increased the price of the game, I think many of you would have understood and many of you would have paid a premium 
for the game. All they had to do was say we're only making four or 500 of them total for all time and they could have charged twelve to $15,000 and people would have paid. And knowing what we know now, that wouldn't seem like a radically high price for all the stuff they put into that game. And knowing what we know now, uh, they did everything poorly in terms of getting themselves out of the hole. And, I, and now it sounds like it's too late. So $21,500. Now here's the problem I have because you know me. I mean, I in my head, I dream of owning these rare machines. I think it would be cool to have something that not everyone has. And the Big Lebowski, though, continues to feel like a toxic game. Uh, so does Magic Girl, but the Big Lebowski as well. And the reason why these games are just toxic is so many people paid in full for the game and didn't get the game. And so how do you feel good about owning a game that your fellow pinside brother got screwed on? So that, that toxicness follows these games around no matter who owns them. There's just no way around that. That toxicity is also the reason why there's a very slim chance these games will ever get remade by anybody because they can't afford to give people their games if they absorb the debts of Dutch pinball, right? So if Chicago Gaming tomorrow was like, all right, game's fully designed, we're going to make it, what do they do? You know, what do they do to the 100 people who had deposits and who didn't get a game? They can't afford to give 100 people a free game uh, because, you know, they're they they didn't get the original 8500 Chicago Gaming Dutch Pinball did and they burned through the money so there's no way they can then give those 100 people a, a a game for free basically and eat that cost right there's just no way so it's a toxic game it's a toxic game and that's probably why, why we'll never see it all right now here's the other part and this is the main reason why I just cannot for the life of me understand why anyone would pay these prices the Big Lebowski is very prone to breaking and almost a lot of them and almost everyone that I've seen on location breaks down and the one at Sunshine Laundromat is broken down. It doesn't function. And unlike Alien, and this is the big difference, unlike the Alien game from Highway Pinball, the Big Lebowski game does not have a community of people that are hell-bent on keeping these games running. They're Enough people did not get Big Lebowski's to create the kind of community around the game that will support the longevity and the, the fixability of the game. And if you look at what's happened with Highway Pinball and Alien, I believe the total number of Alien games that made it out the door before they went kaput was somewhere around the ballpark of 150 to 200 games, All right, somewhere around there. And because there are that many out in the wild, there are enough people that own it that want to make sure that their game and their investment can be played for a long time. And people are really enjoying their aliens, so they want to make sure if any of Andrew's poor designs fail, that they have a backup. And when it comes to buying these rare games, that becomes the main issue how long can I keep this game running? There is nothing worse than the fear that your game might break and then there's no one to help you. There's no solve for or, or fix 
for a problem that develops. And we all know this. If a pinball machine, if one thing breaks, if one mechanism goes down in a game, the entire game is pretty uh, broken because you don't want to play it. It's It all has to work together or it doesn't work at all. And the alien community has done a great job in finding solutions to the problems, in making backup LEDs, backup boards, backup plastics, uh, replacement playfields just went up for sale recently. Uh, people had replacement Xenomech heads. So the community has done a terrific job in helping people get the peace of mind in owning an alien with all of those backup parts. None of that exist with the Big Lebowski owners. The Big Lebowski owners are playing Russian roulette with their money and their game. Every time they play their game, they have to be anxious that this could be the game where something goes down, this could be the game where something breaks, and if that happens, they're kind of screwed. Barry and Yop are not going to help them out. Barry and Yop are, are MIA. And so that's the problem with the Big Lebowski. You know, I was even thinking about, oh, if I bought one, I know there are some spare parts that Cointaker had because he had a couple of games that were damaged in shipping, but nope, those parts were scooped up by a, a collector who has a Big Lebowski. So there are no spare parts to be found. You, you, you basically pay $21,500 and you're fucked. Now, the other part is, so what if a miracle happens and a few things occur? What if Dutch Pinball like pulls a rabbit out of a hat and starts making more of them? Well, then your $21,500 game, you just took a huge hit on it. Uh, what if ARA sells the 40 games that are in box? What happens to those games? How much will they go for? How much will they be worth? A brand new one, right? Unmolested version. Surely more than $21,500. So Alien, uh, The Big Lebowski, and Magic Girl. Three machines all of which uh, are less than 200 in the world. You have about 50 Big Lebowskis, 25 Magic Girls, and 150 Alien Pinball Machines. Because of that, uh, there will always be a really strong demand for these games. The demand far outweighs the supply of these products. All of these titles, all three of them, regardless of how well they flip, will be sought after forever. There, there's no way around it. Uh, which, uh, which machines bring more enjoyment? I think it's easy to understand that Alien and Big Lebowski are far more enjoyable to own than a Magic Girl. Uh, but owning all of them is a little bit of a headache. Owning all of them is a little bit of a risky endeavor. And God bless you high-end collectors who need to have these things. Uh, I am so thankful that I got out of Magic Girl when I did for what I got out of it for. Uh, $20,000 is what I sold mine for. I don't regret selling it. I don't miss it for one moment. I don't care to ever flip the game again. I'm not impressed when I see it. I'm not impressed when I see people buy it for an extreme price. I think the game is nothing more than a work of art. And I have a play field that if you want to buy, I have a Magic Girl play field for sale. It is probably one of the only extra play fields American Pinball made. It is brand new. It's never been put in a game. And I will happily sell this play field to one of you out there who collects pinball play fields. Uh, I paid $1,000 for it, but that was when Dava was just getting rid of the stuff. So don't think I'm selling it just for one grand. Uh, but I will 
entertain offers on this play field if you would like it. it. It is absolutely a stunning work of art. I also have one of the only prototype back glasses of Magic Girl. It comes with a letter of authenticity from Jeremy Packer. It is so much cooler than the one that American Pinball put out because this is when they actually use more of the color tones and it's not so washed out in purple. Like if you look at Magic Girl on the back glass of all the American Pinball games, she's like a purple color, not a, to- a skin tone color. I have one of the original skin to- tone colored back glasses of Magic Girl. Uh, that one was even more expensive, but I will share images of that as well. Uh, my mom has it in her art gallery. She's supposed to frame it for me, but I just never got around to finalizing what I'd like it to be. All right, what else is going on in pinball? Home pin. So is it over? Is it finally over? We have Wayne, you know Wayne, the distributor over there in Australia. He he doesn't like Mike. And and this thread has turned into a whole, uh, you know, just a boondoggle, if that's even the right word. It's just a catastrophe is a better word. So apparently Wayne is saying that Mike is just out of money. He's got no money to get the line going and it's over and people aren't going to get their games and Wayne is basically threatening to go after this guy with like his muscle and his legal power and so some people are asking Mike to sort of uh, relinquish the company and they're even suggesting that maybe Wayne should like buy out Homepin and and take over and make a successful pinball company that runs out of China And I think that would be the stupidest thing to do. We know Wayne brags a lot about all the money he has, but there is nothing dumber that you could do with your money and your millions than try to bail out a failing pinball company. I mean, that is the easiest way to lose your money. There's absolutely no upside to doing that. So I think Homepin will be the first to die if it's not already dead. Uh, We predicted last year that Dutch Pinball and Highway would fail. And we predicted that Homepin would not make it either to the end of 2019. Uh, so I, I think it's pretty much time to put a fork in it because I can't see them turning things around. Especially with all the stuff coming out, it's really hard to understand how a mediocre game that is based, you know, with all this drama with the company, how anyone could, could wake up and say, you know what I'm really going to do? I'm going to go buy from HomePin today because they, they deserve my money. All right. Should I read any emails? Let's see. I got a couple, then I'm going to call it a day. First, I want to thank all you guys out there who have donated to the show. Um, Patreon.com slash Canada Pinball. You can uh, show your support for the show at any time. Always much appreciated. I got an email from Jeff S. And he says, Canada, you have proven that Jersey Jack Pirates of the Caribbean is no greatest of all time, at least not yours. All of the attention given the topic in the past podcast has been refreshing and pretty amusing. Great way to discuss the issue. I have never called Jersey Jack Pirates of the Caribbean a goat because I know better to make such a claim until I'm sure. There is a goat you've trashed in the past because of reliability and being an owner of one can say that aspect doesn't bother me and shouldn't have been a consideration. If something breaks, I replace it and move on. I do believe Jersey Jack Pirates of the Caribbean is um, like is is not the greatest of all time. He says, and the greatest of all time is dot 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 alien. So Jeff, no, 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 no. 
If Alien Pinball was the greatest of all time, it's real simple. The game would have sold well. And it's not just Andrew Highway's lack of manufacturing. This game is not the greatest of all time. There is no way the greatest pinball machine of all time based on Alien takes place without the main character of the movies. I mean, let's just stop being stupid for a moment. Let's not fool ourselves. Sigourney Weaver could have been in the game. She wasn't in the game because they couldn't afford to put her in the game. Uh, I also, when I look at an alien machine, and correct me if I'm wrong, tell me what mechanism there is that's really cool other than the Xeno head, which I also think looks really silly with that pencil that comes out of the mouth to grab the ball. What else is going on in that game that is super cool mechanically? I think that Alien is immersive. I think it has one of the greatest music soundtracks ever. And I think the modes are really cool and and pull you in into the Alien world. But it is not the greatest pinball machine of all time. Not by any means. Uh, But again, if you think it is, then it is. Because it's a subjective argument. All right, one more email, then I got to go. Do more work on a Sunday, which is crazy. All right, I got an email. Pinball in New York City, St. Paddy's Day. Hey, Chris. Big fan of the show, in the city, and going to hit modern pinball after drinks here at Handcraft. Any other places you recommend while I'm here in town? Staying in the fashion district. Keep up the awesome work, Matt. All right, Matt, well, here's the thing. Um, You should go to Sunshine Laundromat in Brooklyn. You should go to Pioneer Bar, which is uh, around, what is it, like Chelsea area, Uh, so those are the two best places I would go to. Modern pinball is also good as well, uh, just to play pinball. So there's a lot of pinball in this city uh, that you can find. I would recommend you do something when you're in New York City. I would recommend you do so much more than play pinball. This city is incredible. If I was visiting New York City, I got to be honest, the last thing I would do is carve out a lot of time to play pinball. I would use that time to go to shows, to eat at different restaurants, to do other stuff. I wouldn't waste my time playing pinball if I haven't been to New York City before. And I always kind of think it's crazy when when these guys on Pinside, they like travel the world. They go all the way around the world and they're in cities with so much culture and so much to do and they might not come back anytime soon and they spend so much of it playing pinball. It's weird, really weird. Uh, Anyway, Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Um, We will be back with another episode in which uh, we talk all about theme and how theme matters in pinball. Until then, look for me at TPF, flip your pins, and I mean play them, don't trade them for more money, and enjoy. Enjoy 2019 because I think we're about to see some awesome fucking games come down the road. Everyone, have a great day. (laughs) 